Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, before I get going into my uh, talk, as Jeff was uh, telling us just to listen, I felt like I, I heard this, and this may be just for one person or maybe several of you. Um, it's simply this, that, that maybe you're here and you have been, felt like your walk with God was like walking in the fog. Like it's just, uh, it's just been difficult. You haven't been hearing from him. Um, and maybe just even a lot of doubts coming into your mind. I just got a, a picture that the fog is gonna clear. And that God's, God's gonna shine his light and he is going to speak to you. And I just, I felt like I needed to be obedient to that, to share that with you, because maybe you're here and that's just, that's the one thing you needed to hear today is that there's hope and that he sees you and he hasn't forgotten you. So I just wanna put that out there from the very beginning and that may be all you need to hear today and you have my permission to leave. Now I said it was one person, not all of you, all right, so, but... I just, I just want to be obedient with that and just say maybe you're here and you just feel like this has been hard. Um, I just want to say that he sees, he hears, and his light is coming. All right? Be encouraged by that. Now, we're starting a new series. Uh, as uh, Jessica just read from Proverbs chapter 8, we're in a series called Foolproof. Um, uh, not long ago, a guy named Wayne Roth from Pittston, Pennsylvania was at a friend's house and uh, his friend collected poisonous snakes. He had them in a tank. And Wayne decided in one of, the, one of these uh, kind of a, uh, stupid sort of macho thrill-seeking moments that he would reach his hand into the tank and try to grab a cobra. Uh, he stuck his hand into the tank and uh, went to grab the cobra right behind the head and the cobra turned and bit him on the hand. Uh, his friend urged him to go to the hospital and he, uh, he, he told his friend that, that he'd be fine, that he was a man. And Wayne decided to talk his friend into not going to the hospital but go to a, a pub. And so they went to a pub and they drank a few pints and Wayne boasted of what a man he was because a cobra had bit him and he was just fine. And while he was bragging and boasting about the strength that he had that even a cobra couldn't take him down, uh, he dropped dead. Uh, apparently, uh, cobra venom is a slow-acting toxin that attacks the central nervous system, and uh, it eventually got to Wayne, and his life ended. And, um, and that story is dangerous for, in a couple reasons. One is because, you know, you hear stories like that, and people might want to try and replicate it. Um, uh, another reason it's dangerous is because we read stories like that, maybe on news headlines, maybe on our news feeds. Um, we, we read about them on the web, and there's, the reason it's dangerous is it obscures for us, it minimizes the decisions that we make in life that are frankly foolish, so we compare ourselves to the Wayne Roths of the world and we say to ourselves or to our friends, well, at least I didn't stick my hand in a tank with a poisonous snake. So I'm not that bad. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that, that we often make some pretty foolish decisions. If you read in that feed at the beginning of the service, you saw some pretty, uh, pretty amazing things that people have done. And uh, we've, we've all, I know I've made foolish decisions. Some of you know this story, but years ago, uh, I made the decision to buy a car without talking to my wife. 
it, was, it was not like last week. It was a lot of years ago. Um, but uh, a friend of mine drove into work with a new car. I saw it. Something in me said I had to have one. That afternoon, I went to a car dealer. I leased that car, brought it back to work, showed it to all my friends, drove home, and then showed it to my wife, surprised her, and told her it was for her birthday. It was September. Her birthday's in November. And you, there's a whole, whole lot of foolish decisions in that, in that one little story. I, I, I've made some, some, some huge blunders in life, and my guess is that you, you've done some as well. And, uh, and, and I, here's my main idea. I'm just going to put it up on the screen. Uh, this is the main idea of my talk. You are going to make a mess of your life if you don't find and grow in wisdom. You're going to make an absolute mess of your life. I'm going to make an absolute mess of my life if I don't find and grow in wisdom. And very few people are talking about this these days. See, we live in a pluralistic society. And in a pluralistic society, people are fighting about morality. What's right? What's wrong? What's bad? What's good? And, 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 Ancient societies had a grasp of something that we don't have, we don't, we don't necessarily have, and that is that a, a moral law, as important as rules, as important as that is, most of life's situations, the moral law doesn't necessarily speak to. Uh, you know, things like what college should I go to? What, uh, should I marry this person? Uh, should I quit that job and take that job? Should I buy that house? Uh, see, many of life's decisions take something that, that we don't hear much about. It takes wisdom. In, in, in a culture that's dominated by, by technology, or we, we, we focus on science and facts and knowledge, um, that, that, that's, that's one way of doing life. Another way of, you can live in a religious culture and the focus is all about the rules. But the reality is, is that in a secular culture or a religious culture, knowledge and rules, much of life those things are not helpful. We need something desperately. We need wisdom. And in this series, as we get going and we talk about foolproof, we're, we're going to be looking at some topics from the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at topics like our speech, relationships, family relationships, self-control. We're talking about our, our, our money. We're going to hit a lot of different topics and 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 try to grasp some wisdom. And here's the definition, a working definition for wisdom um, that just set a baseline for us. Wisdom is knowing how things really work, which is insight, how things really are, it's understanding, and knowing what to do about it. That's prudence. How things really, really work, how things really are, and then knowing what to do about it. You ever seen like a Sherlock Holmes movie or a Sherlock TV show? And there's this, there's this crime scene. Maybe someone has burglarized a home and you, maybe you've experienced this. You walk in your home and the, the house is trashed. I mean, drawers are all open and you can tell someone's been searching for something and you know, maybe chairs are turned over and, you're, and you walk in and it just looks like chaos. It looks like a mess. But then Sherlock Holmes walks into the room and he sees all the little distinctions all the nuances, all the, 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 the clues that are left behind. And in a matter of time, what he does, he's able to tell where, the, where, where did the burglar enter the home? What, are, how, what tools did he use? In fact, if, if he follows it long enough, he'll determine who did it. 
It's, it's a, a skill to be able to see how things, how things really work, how things really are, and then what, what to do about it. And we're gonna do, do that very thing. We're gonna ascertain wisdom in this series on these multiple topics. And, and today, what I wanna do is kind of get us launched in this series as we talk about the book of Proverbs, I want to give us two important tips to understand uh, as we read the book of Proverbs because it's, it's a book, it's not a narrative, it isn't a story that you know, begins in chapter one with the introduction of characters and, and ends with a resolution of, uh, of a, a conflict that's been going on. It's, it's not a story in that sense, it's poetry. It's wisdom literature, uh, which is the same for like the book of Job or Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and and in fact, those three books should be read as a whole. Can I give you a, a good picture? I want to I give you two tips on how to read and understand the book of Proverbs. And then I want to give us three ways that we can begin finding and growing in wisdom. Because you and I are going to make a mess of our lives if we don't find and grow in wisdom. So we're going to dive right in here. We'll look at some of these Proverbs as we go along. But here's your first tip. If, you, if you're reading the book of Proverbs, tip number one uh, is simply this, that the Proverbs are intended to be read collectively, not individually. The Proverbs are intended to be read collectively, not individually. Here's what I mean. What we often do is we look at the Proverbs and we, we, we get one little pithy statement and we hone in on it and it, may, it might be about, about uh, leadership and, and we memorize that and that's a good thing to do. But what we need to know is no one single proverb gives us the full perspective on a topic. What would happen in, in, in the days when these Proverbs were read, they would gather all the Proverbs around a certain topic and read all of them together to get the full picture about what does wisdom look like in my speech. In fact, the Proverbs, were, they, they first came from, from kings. King Solomon wrote, very, he wrote quite a few of them. Um, he, he wrote them for his, his sons. And through time, fathers used them uh, for their sons. In fact, most biblical scholars will tell us that the book of Proverbs was actually a training manual that was used in a boys' school. So age 12-ish, boys would gather at school and the book of Proverbs was a training manual for wisdom. No one does this anymore. So, so, so here's what would happen. The, the families would be out in the fields. It's an agricultural society. So they're out in the fields and the sun sets and they come back to the village and, and there's no Netflix, there's no Hulu, there's no HBO, there's nothing like that. And so what the wise communities did is they gathered around and they talked about life and they talked about wisdom in life. And they, they talked about it in a collective sense. And again, it, it was, a lot of it was directed at young boys, which is why in chapters one to nine, which is like an introduction, you have 10 talks from a father to his son. And you also have four poems from Lady Wisdom. Wisdom is often personified as a woman. And the reason that is, is because this, think about boys in school and, and, and this, this whole topic of, of how to be wise in life. In fact, um, it will talk about wisdom in pursuing a future spouse and it focuses on choosing a wife. The reason that is is because most of the boys are hearing this instruction. Proverbs 31 is an example of this. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. What the wisdom writers were trying, what fathers were trying to get through their sons is a, a a capable and virtuous wife, I mean, that, that is so valuable. 
And it's also why you have five or six or seven of these Proverbs that sometimes, you know, women could get be offended by. Like, here's an example of one, Proverbs 21. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. <laughs> and there's actually quite a few of these, these pictures of the nagging wife, like the dripping water from the roof. And it's like, and, uh, and why is that? Because you got to think of boys in school. You're gonna pick a future, future spouse. Now, ladies, uh, don't be offended by these. And, and someone has said that, that the book of Proverbs has a bunch of information about husbands as well. It's just translated to the word fool. And so if, if, you're, if you're offended by that, just understand it's an, evil, it's, it's an even uh, playing field here, okay? But what you need to understand is that on these, and we're gonna do this. When we get to a topic like speech, we're going to pull a bunch of Proverbs that talk about our words and we're going to read them collectively and, and just kind of get a sense of what does wisdom look like when we talk? What does wisdom look like in how we spend our money? What does wisdom look like in how we make friends? We'll look at it collectively and talk about it as family. And that's how the book of Proverbs was intended to be, to be read. Here's the second tip for us. Uh, second tip is the Proverbs are best practices, not promises. It's really important you understand this. What I mean by this, best practices is a business term, and it's a term that, that means that most of the time, if you do this, you will succeed. Like 85 to 90% of the time, if you, if you behave in this way, if you act in this way, life will go well for you. It's a best practice, not a promise. Um, and I'll just read a few of them for you so you can kind of get a sense for this. Here, here's one from Proverbs 12. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Now, our world will tell you that when someone insults you, you pay back. And you do it quickly because you do not want someone to disrespect you. Disrespect you. you need to let them know that was not okay. And there are instances when you, you do need to do that. But what the wisdom writer is saying is that 90% of the time, wise people stay calm when they're insulted. They don't need to raise their voice. They, they, don't, they don't need to retaliate. That, that's an example of a best practice. Proverbs chapter 13. Here's another one. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. And I think we would all say, yeah. Silently inside we say, amen, but we don't want people to know that was us. Now, we could modernize this verse and, and this best practice and say, those who control their keyboards will have a long life. Posting, posting posts on Facebook or texting uh, can ruin everything. I mean, see, this is wisdom. What, what the wisdom writer is trying to get, that, that immediate response, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Here's another one, Proverbs chapter 17. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. You see, when someone offends you, when someone hurts you, when a fault has been committed against you and you get to the place where you actually, you process it, sometimes you get the privilege of processing, processing that with somebody. Sometimes you have to process it on your own uh, because the person doesn't feel like they did anything wrong. But when that fault is forgiven, this uncanny thing happens. Love actually prospers. Love actually grows. But dwelling on it 
replaying the conversation, replaying the circumstances and saying, oh man, I should have said this. I could have said that. That actually, dwelling on it, will actually separate close friends. Think about this in in marriage relationships. How many divorces have taken place because there was, we were dwelling on something. And I'm not, there are are instances where divorce, it it, it happens. And in some cases it should happen. But most of the, many times it's because it was just one little thing and we, we, got, we were dwelling on it. We couldn't, we couldn't forgive. That, that's the best practice. Here's one more for us. Proverbs 19, discipline your children while there is hope. I love that line. While there is hope, discipline your children. Otherwise you will ruin their lives. Wisdom for parenting. See, there's, there's something about sculpting and shaping your child when they're young and getting them going into a, a direction. But you need to understand this. These are best practices, not promises. And the word this is really powerful is that one of them is, is train up a child in the way they go and they won't depart from it. So I've talked to parents who they train up their child in the way they should go. They, 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 they've invested, they've discipled. And when their child graduates from high school, they, they wander. And, and, and because you see a proverb as a promise, what ends up happening is you start taking on guilt. I must have done something wrong. You, 90% of the time, the, this will be the result. But some, it's not a guarantee. It's the best practice. Is that, is that making sense to you? Now, here's, here's the deal. As you're reading the book of Proverbs and you're going along and you're reading these, these things like, you know, if you give money to the poor, God will take care of you. If you're righteous, God will cause your life to prosper and you will be healthy. Um, if you're wicked, life will go bad. If you're good, life, life will go good for you. God will protect you. Nothing bad will happen to you. What you. If you read those kind of Proverbs, maybe there's some of you because of your temperament, you'll read that and go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. See, if, if you do this and you do this, then life goes just smooth. And the problem with that kind of thinking is, is you're treating a best practice as a promise and you end up becoming a moralistic and conservative fool. Now, I'm not talking politics, okay? I'm just saying that if you see the Proverbs as a formula, A plus B equals C, and you just work this pattern, your life will be smooth. You will become a conservative, moralistic fool. And if you need an example of that, read the book of Job. Job's life is going horrible. He's, he's got kids who have died. He's lost, he's, his bank account is drained. He's got boils all over his body and he's got friends who are coming to him to console him, but they are miserable comforters. Because what they're saying is, huh, Job, your life is a mess, which means that somewhere back here you did something wrong because bad things don't happen to good people. You track with me here? This is, the, this is where we confuse a best practice with a promise. You, you will become a conservative, moralistic, rigid, unkind person if that's your view of how the Proverbs work. And yet on the flip side, you can become a relativistic, liberal fool. And again, I'm not talking about politics. See, you see the formula and you go, with the, the, the good, if they do the good and they give the poor and, then, and they treat people well, life goes well. Really? All the time? Really? That's how it works? 
Here's an example. Uh, Proverbs chapter three. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. If you are a conservative, moralistic fool, what will happen is you will look at that and you go, as long as I tithe, as long as I give some of my money away, I will have every, I will be wealthy. But what happens is someone says, really? That's, that happens all the time? That how life goes? And then you get to Proverbs chapter 13, a little bit farther in the book, and you read, a poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice sweeps it all away. Ah, see, sometimes there's oppression. Sometimes there's deception. Sometimes there's injustice. And if you are sort of relativistic, you're the kind of person that says, see, I told you, life is messy. I told you that you, there's no guarantees you become a liberal relativistic fool. And the reason that is, is because what, if, you're, if you're rigid on this side, what, what you're saying is that there is no pattern. No, there is a pattern. 85, 90% of the time, if you do this, actually the life, if you, act in, if you act wisely, life actually will go better for you. But it's not a promise. There are times where life does get messy. But if you're over here and you're saying that you just live your life however you want, there is no pattern, to, there is no that kind of a way to live your life, wise way to live your life, just kind of find your way, you're being a fool here too. And here's the deal, is that we push each other's buttons on this. We actually push each other into foolishness. And what we desperately need is Wisdom. So even as I paint those two pictures, I, I, I would just pause and ask you the question, which, which way do you lean? Are you the kind of person who you look at someone and you see their life has not gone well and it's like, well, they, they probably made some poor decisions. Or the, the reason that they're unemployed is because they're lazy. Because the Proverbs says, says if you're lazy, then you're, you're not gonna have work. Is that, is that more where you lean? Or do you lean this way? It's like, oh, that's... You just live life how you want. It, it, it works out and, and, and just forget about that. Just love God. And now, which, which way do you lean? Because I think it's really important on the front end of this series that we understand our own temperaments, our own ways of doing life and also understand that we need to read these Proverbs collectively and not treat them as promises. Now, what I want to do in the, in the short time we got left is just give us Three ways that we can find and grow in wisdom. Uh, remember, that my, my main idea is that you're going to make an absolute mess of your life. I'm going to make an absolute mess of my life. We will make a mess of our life unless we find and grow in wisdom. So Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, I just want to read some more from that same chapter that Jessica read earlier. Verse 22 says, The Lord formed me from the beginning. Before he created anything else, I was appointed in ages past. I'm sorry, before we created anything else, I was appointed ages past, at the very first before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills I was born, before he made the earth and fields and the first handfuls of soil. I was there when he established the heavens, when, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. 
I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family. Now, why is the wisdom writer talking about creation? Here's what you need to understand. In Eastern cultures, creation, the world is seen as an illusion. It's like it's an accident. Things are random. In Western culture, predominantly, the world is seen as a result of a power struggle. If you, re- if you read the creation accounts of uh, the, the Babylonians or of Egyptians or of, of Rome or any Western culture, it's, the earth was a result of a power struggle between the gods. So you have chaos. The, the land is where the god fell. And then there's a god over the sea and a god over the land. And it's just all this chaos. And on the eastern side, it's illusion and everything's sort of an accident and random. It's only here in the scriptures that we see that from the very beginning of creation, that actually wisdom was an architect. From the very beginning, there is a thread, there's a weaving into how things work, this thing, how things work, this thing called wisdom, which if you want to find and grow in wisdom, here's what you need to do. You need to discover the pattern. You see, there is a pattern, there is a weaving of wisdom all through creation, And what the wisdom writer is trying to help us understand is that creation wasn't just some random accident. Creation wasn't just some chaotic power struggle. Actually, from the very beginning of creation, wisdom was an architect. And if you can find the pattern and you can work the pattern, you will be wise. And and remember paint by numbers? Remember paint by numbers? I do not have an artistic bone in my body. I mean, drawing a stick figure is a challenge for me. I'm just, I admire people who can paint. I admire people who can draw. I admire musicians. I I just don't have that talent. I don't have that skill. But when I discovered paint by numbers as a kid, I realized that there's this, there's this way that I can, I can actually paint something and it turns out somewhat recognizable. Like there's this, this outlines and inside this, you know, the perimeter of the outlines is all these other lines. And inside the space, there are little numbers that are correlated to colors of paint. And if you dip your paintbrush in the right color corresponding with the number, like if number one is green, you you, you paint all the spots that say number one with green. And if you follow the pattern, when you are done, you actually have something that's, it it could be a masterpiece. It It could be beautiful. Your parents could go, wow, you're good. And it all happens because you discovered that there was this pattern and you followed it. It's the same thing with wisdom. And what the wisdom writer is trying to get us to understand is that from the very beginning, there was a pattern that God, there was this thread of wisdom that God wove into creation. Think about aerodynamics. You're flying a plane, speed and lift and gravity are all laws that are are built in to get that plane up in the air. And if you violate any one of them, you come crashing down. Friends, what what you're gonna see, we talk about relationships that there are best practices, there are proverbs, there's wisdom in how to interact and how to, how to handle your relationships, family relationships and your friendships. And if you violate them, your relationships will come crashing down. There are, there are, there's wisdom in how to handle your money. And if you, if you don't follow the pattern, if you, if you don't discover it and walk in it and, and, and spend and save in and, and the ways that, that the wisdom writer would instruct us, your finances could come crashing down. 
And that's, that's what the wisdom writer is trying to get us to understand. From the very beginning, wisdom was an architect. And there is a pattern. Find it. Sync your life with the pattern. And you live that way and you will become sage-like. You will foolproof your life. Not in a guarantee sense, but you will become wise. Here's the second thing you can do to find and grow in wisdom. It's understand that wisdom is a path, not a door. Let me explain. One of the very first Proverbs that I memorized was Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. And many of you memorized this as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths, okay? It's 700 to 800 times in, in the scriptures, the journey of life is given this metaphor of a pathway. Now, why is that? As I've been reflecting on this, I think the reason is, is because on, if, you're, if you're on a path, if life is a path, life is a steady motion of one foot in front of the other. It's left, right, left, right, left, right. It's these little habits, these little disciplines that you're taking day in and day out. And the reality, the problem is that we live in a culture in which, like, which we, we, we admire splash and flash. We, we, we love to hear about going from zero to 60 in 4.2 seconds. But what the wisdom writer is going to tell us is that life is a path. Life is a left, right, left, right of daily wise practices. And if you will walk that pathway, you will become wise. And the reason it's not a door is because the, the door is this metaphor for if I turn the handle, if I put my key in and unlock it, if I open the latch, then I get what's inside. And in, in our world today, what we, are, what we are being told is that if you work the technique, if you work the steps, you can have what you want. And you can have it fast. C.S. Lewis captures this, and it's a great quote on this, this whole topic. Here's what Lewis says. There is something which unites magic and technology while separating them from the wisdom of earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality, and the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. For the modern, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man, and the solution is a technique. The, the, ancient, the ancient sages said, there is a thread, there is a pattern, and I will, I will sync up my life. I will conform my life with that pattern, and if I do, I will become wise. But in the modern world, in the postmodern world, what we're doing now is we're saying, here is my reality, and I'm going to conform the world to me. And friends, to go against the weave that's been woven in from, from the very beginning by the architect wisdom is the classic definition of a fool. That's what the wisdom writer is trying to get at. And so you need to see wisdom as a path of one, left, right, left, right, not a door. And if you don't believe me on that one, just go to your local Barnes and Noble. Go to a bookstore. Go to the self-help section. And buy a book, Four Steps on How to Lose Weight in a Month. Three Steps of How to Increase Your Love Life. Six seminars that you can take to be more financially successful. 
three you know, MP3 downloads or three CDs, depending on how, technology, you know, how much technology you, know, you, you, you have. These three things, and, and you'll, you'll, have, you'll overcome your shyness. It's all about a technique. And what the wisdom writer is telling us, no, 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 it's a path. Wisdom is a path. It's left, right, left, right, left, right. It's a journey it's through life, and close to the end, you will become wise. But what's happened is because life is about this, this technique. If I can do these three steps, I get what I want. And because it's such a strong message, it's actually, it's actually captured some of us. We want to know what God's will is. So, you know, I wonder what I should do, and I'm not hearing from God. And so I, I remember doing this as a kid. Grab my Bible. What should I do? Oh, Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, I'm going to give God a second chance because he sure doesn't want me to do that. So you open it again and do this. Go and do likewise. Well, surely it's, I'm going to try the Old Testament. What thou doest, do is quickly. And and what we're doing is we're, we're, we're working a technique. Some of us go to church regularly. We give. We're part of a Bible study. We're part of a small group. We pray. And life is not going well. And we're saying to God, how could you let this happen to us? How could you let life get this messy for me? I'm doing all the right stuff. And what's happened is we're treating life as a door. And the reality is that life, life can be very hard. And... It's not a formula, but it's wisdom keeps putting the left, right, the left, right in front and understand that it's, you, keep, you keep going in the same direction, you will become wise. Last thing that I say to grow in wisdom is to recognize wisdom as a person. I grew up um, having good people around me. My parents are very wise, and I learned a lot from them. When, when uh, Trina and I first got married, we had some friends who, uh, who had young kids. We didn't have kids yet. We watched them parent and we learned a ton about how to be a wise parent and saw some things that we, wouldn't, we chose not to do. Um, and, our, and we had people like that around us and that really helped. But some of you did not have that. Some of you did not have parents that were wise. Some of you did not have friends that were wise. What if, what if the pursuit of wisdom was a love affair? What if the pursuit of wisdom was a friendship with someone who was so wise that the more time you spent with them, you actually became wise? What if there was someone you could do life with and you could look to as an example for your speech or look to as an example of how to raise your kids or look to as an example of, of how, to, how to choose good friends? What if wisdom is a person? And you know that if you've ever read the book of Proverbs that many times wisdom is personified. I mean, I read from Proverbs 8, I was there when, when the horizon was set. What, what if, what if you, you were to discover some great earthly mentors in some small groups, but what if there was someone you could walk with in life and you could become wise? There was some other wisdom literature that was written back in the day, just shortly after the Proverbs. One of those, one of those writings was written by a guy named, it's called The Wisdom from the Son of Sirach. I'm just gonna put just a, a small section from this, this book called The Wisdom from the Son of Sirach. He's talking about wisdom and he says, turn unto me all, turn unto me you who are untaught. Why do you say you are lacking in these things and why are your souls so thirsty? I say to you, find wisdom. Put your necks under its yoke and bear its burden. 
If you are intent, you can find wisdom. See with your eyes that I have labored for it and I have found for my soul much rest. This was written around around, uh, 200 B.C., Now imagine the day when a young rabbi in in, in Jerusalem is talking to a crowd. People are gathered around around him and Matthew records these words in chapter 11. Uh, He says, says, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What Jesus is doing is that he, is, he knows that, 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 that several hundred year old wisdom literature, the son of Sirach is saying, if you want wisdom, then go get it. Learn, do the hard work, put the yoke on. And Jesus shows up on the scene, the architect at creation. Jesus shows up at the scene and he says, you want wisdom? Don't go to school, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will teach you how to do it. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. The yoke is the teaching. My yoke is easy. And you, your thirst will be satisfied. Your souls will find rest. For some of us in the room, this, this, this finding and growing in wisdom is simply entering into this relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing that he will give you wisdom to walk through life. He will teach you the pattern that he wove into creation. He will teach you how to put a left and a right and a left and a right together, even when you're going through difficult circumstances and help you persevere so that at the end of your life, you can become, get this sage-like, that you could be a patriarch, that you could be a matriarch, that you could be the person that people gather around and say, I want to hear their perspective on this topic because they're wise. And this can all happen simply by recognizing that wisdom is indeed a person. So at the front end of the series that we're calling Foolproof, we want to walk with wisdom. We want to walk with Jesus. And we want to hear his perspective on multiple topics. We'll we'll look at them collectively and we'll understand that these aren't guarantees, but we'll understand that he is the God who is with us even when life isn't going the way that we wanted it to. And we'll journey together as family and do it together. Let's pray. So Lord, we, we we desperately need you. Lord, some of us, um, we, just, we need someone to speak into our lives. We, we need that voice of wisdom. I pray that you would just cause these Proverbs to come alive for us as we enter into the series. Some, Lord, today are just grateful because they had good friends, they had a good family. Some are just lonely because that wasn't their experience. Whatever our past is, I just thank you, Lord, that, that while that, that does impact us and it does shape us, Lord, it doesn't define us. We thank you that you are the God who will continue walking with us as we walk in your ways, as we walk on your narrow path. Empower us to follow you. And may we become wise. 
We pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.